0: History Month, man. Things That's are a great start. You no, know, March is well, wonderful. Not for me personally, but Yeah. yeah. <laughs> personally things are a mess. But in real life <laughs> Personally, my life is falling apart. Um, but
1: <laughs> I need
0: somebody to pick up the literal pieces. <laughs> I
1: just no like, yeah. The first couple days of March have been crazy Mm. and there's like gas work being done in my house. Work is insane. The traffic around Baltimore has been crazy because Biden is here. Listen, (laughs) Joe, welcome to Baltimore, (laughs) but please get out of my way
0: all the time (laughs) though. I feel like that happens a lot on 95 specifically when an important politician Uh passes away because a lot of people come down from the Northern states. From Massachusetts, New York, mm-hmm. you know, New Jersey, and they come through Baltimore to get to the famous politician funeral. And I'm like, can you just not?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can you go around? You take the scenic route for once in your life. <laughs> you don't need a motorcade. <laughs> take <laughs> a trip down Lock Raven Boulevard, why don't you? <laughs> um, but it's funny too because I'm working in DC this week, so I kind of felt like Biden and I did the old swippity swap. <laughs> you too, <laughs> dosey do. Too
0: fun. Um. <laughs>
1: you guys were playing like a tele- you tele- me <laughs> me you oh, oh my god what are we doing here it's so crazy it's a telephone tag you're like missed you again
0: <laughs> you invite you again
1: um oh yeah but anyways we're not here to talk about biden nope <laughs> at least not Joe Biden. Joe Biden, maybe, maybe, Dr. Jill. maybe Who knows? Dr. Jill, but not Linde. today, because this is <her> story. <laughs> on the rocks with, with already. <laughs> Katie,
0: with Katie. <laughs> and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history and we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and
1: places because women have nuance. <laughs> but keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time and we may have
0: started already <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> and we're not. Historians, no, no, not at all. My God, but I, I think we're doing okay. I felt really good this week. Um, and also I was realizing I haven't been blown away by a story in a long time because we've been doing so much research. Yeah. That like when somebody was born in a certain year, I'm kind of like, I kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At least a little bit, you know? I felt like I was blown away by your story last week. Okay. Because we don't do a lot of like Japan in the late 1800s. No. Yeah. That one was cool. Okay. So maybe besides last week, I haven't been blown away in a while. (laughs) But in the beginning, every woman, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. (laughs) But now I'm just kind of like, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay
1: um well we're gonna get into these stories Um, uh, but first we have to do a little something to help you guys out because you're always helping us out with yeah. stuff like leaving reviews joining our patreon which we love when you do that so if yeah. you haven't done it yet get on it liking um, and
0: commenting <laughs> on social media exactly drinking our drinks and posting pictures it's just being our friends in general yeah texting (laughs) us our friends that text us we're obsessed with that friends and family
1: um but right now you are out in a lemon grove maybe i'm just thinking that because my cocktail is very lemon forward this week you're out in a lemon grove you're picking the lemons you have the ear earbuds in so much vitamin c so So much much. it's delightful so bright so sunny um but you don't want to get your Hands that have the lemons all over them on your phone to look up what these women look like. Never. But you want to kind of get like a picture in your head. Yeah. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical,
0: physical. physical. again. I, we are not ready tonight. We're not ready. My throat
1: <laughs> is dying. It's so dry. Still getting better. Let me tell you, I've been congested
0: for a month and I'm so sick of it. And I, I don't know what to do. can't believe like my one of my two daughters is still not over her like illness and it's been months and it's hers is not covid yeah like she tested yeah i tested no covid (laughs) i was like this is crazy this is just we're being we're catching all the illnesses we didn't catch while we were wearing masks i
1: did hear something about that because i didn't get covid during the whole pandemic basically Mm -hmm. and now i feel like i've been sick for a month straight yeah maybe it's because my the system is crashing. Ask
0: up, baby. <laughs> but, anyways, who are you doing? And what does she look like? I am doing a banger, <laughs> Emmeline Pankhurst, which amazing. She is a very, very slim, classic-looking Victorian lady. Mm-hmm. She almost always has like some sort of very Fancy, super high-collar dress on with, like, some buttons or some brooches. Her hair uh, was brown in her younger years and slowly turned gray. And it is, like, I... I can't do it and I don't understand how it's done, but it's like back in a bun, but also poofed out. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like a Gibson girl. Right. And I don't know Mm -hmm. how to do it, but I think it looks really great. Um, And her eyes are like deep into her head. I wouldn't say very sunken, but she has deep eyes. And in some photos, she like, I don't know. She just doesn't look. Ever fearful, she stares down a mm-hmm. camera. She like looks right into the camera and like lets you know that business is about to happen because she's always up for the yeah. business. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what Emmeline Bankhurst looks like. Perfect.
1: <laughs> who are you doing, and what does she look like? So I am doing Belle de Costa Green. Uh, Belle was a light-skinned black woman who was very fashionable and I can actually not really get quite a great read on her face because she's always posing. Like her face is like always kind of turned away from the camera but we do have a lot of photos of her and she's always wearing like very cool hats or if she's not wearing a hat she has the Gibson girl hairstyle Um, and she did also have some watercolor portraits done of her that are Really cool. Uh, and I think like she didn't like them too much, <laughs> as we'll get into, but she um I think it kind of captures like her whimsy and spirit, you know. Okay. Um, but yeah, but most of the photos she's like in these really gorgeous, like ornate rooms, and like sometimes she's sitting at a desk. Um, but mostly, you know, if we were to really picture her, she would be surrounded by books and manuscripts and wonderful pieces of art. Oh. And that's how I love to picture Belle de Costa. Green. I
0: love that her name is Belle and she's surrounded by I books. I know. Serendipitous, <laughs> yes? I think so. Okay. <sighs> um. So can you tell me what I'm drinking? Because as we said before... <laughs> before the show. <laughs> it looks like a grapefruit cocktail because there's a grapefruit uh-huh. on it, but it's not grapefruit. Well, and yeah, none of this
1: is grapefruit.
0: Oh, is that a blood orange? No, it's a cara
1: cara orange. I don't know what that is. So it is an orange that has like a pink center. Okay. Yeah, so not as dark as a blood orange, um, but it's it looks like the inside of a grapefruit, but it's the inside of an orange.
0: I feel like I've seen those drawn on little kids' bathing suits. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, this is called The Library. It is an ounce and a half of gin, juice from half a lemon, um, egg white or chickpea water, aquafaba, um, and a half an ounce of aperol And you shake it all together, you pour it into a glass, and you garnish it with a slice of hopefully caracaro orange, if you can find it. It's a Trader Joe's right now. Yeah. Cheers.
0: <laughs> Cheers. Wow. Hmm very I like interesting that. i love aquafava in so drinks good. it's funny because i want mine to have this type of appearance today yeah. with the little foam on top uh-huh. so we'll see how it
1: goes well, you can use mine i opened up a whole can of chickpeas just for well, this well i dish. think i have stuff dish. that might
0: make it kind of look like that i don't Ooh. know if chickpeas will deal in my drink okay. we'll see what happens we can like mm. brainstorm because i'm not set on my cocktail yeah um yeah it's really nice i love it mm, nice le- and just like citrusy and yeah and the lemon's not simple. super tart and I think that's the aquafaba. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. And I put coconut simple syrup in oh, it. Oh, right, 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 right. I'm missing like a huge part of it. Um, right. <laughs>
0: no, that's delicious. Thank you. Gosh, okay. I love it. And it's so cute. <sighs> All right. So what do you know about Belle de Costa Green? I don't know anything about her. I mean, I know that you called the drink the librarian and you said she's always surrounded by books. So she sounds like my kind of lady. Mm-hmm. For those of you who know me, my sister and best friend are both master librarians. So that is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, And... Other than that, I know that she's been sitting on our 10-page Google Doc of requests. So thank God we got to her because it's very important. And it's rare that we do a librarian. I know. So I thought this was a great
1: person to do. Uh, Corrine Shaw requested her. So thank you, Corrine. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, So yeah, this has been sitting there for a while. And then... I really wanted someone just like fun and cool. And that is exactly what I got with this story. Great. So thank you.
0: Okay. So tell me all about Belle. Okay. B E L L E? Of course. Got it. The, <laughs>
1: you, mean <the> right <laughs> course. you mean the right way? Of course. The right way? So I got most of this information from Wikipedia and uh, a Morgan Library like event video. Like they did this whole series on. The women who made, like the, Mor- like, the J.P. Morgan estate, like, what it is today. Perfect. And Belle is obviously one of those people. So, Belle DeCosta Green was born in Washington, D.C. as Woo-hoo. Belle Marion Greener. Her birthday is sometimes listed as December 13th, 1883, but her official biographer says her birthday is actually November 26th. 1879 whoa
0: that's like so, months and years off yeah
1: <laughs> that is uh four years uh <laughs> older than she said she was her mother uh was Geneva Ida Fleet what shut a great name? Up. shut up Ida also or I guess Ida Jesus. Ida Genevieve Genevieve Ida Fleet yeah that would be right which reminds me there's a band called Greta Van Fleet remember um, when we
0: did Ida B Wells
1: yes that was a great yes, day that, that was, was fun. Uh, She was a music teacher and a member of a well-known African-American family in Washington, D.C. Her mom was? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And her father, Richard Theodore Greener, was a very interesting person himself. He was the first black student and first black graduate of Harvard University. No way! (laughs) Uh, He was in the class of eighteen seventy. Then he went on to work as an attorney, a professor, and a racial justice activist. Harvard
0: had a black graduate in 1870. Yeah.
1: Isn't that wild? Uh, and he huh. served as the dean of the Howard University School of Law, which is why they were in the DC area.
0: Amazing! So an H, an you know? Yeah, very pro- historically like, black university, yep. Howard. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but in the late 1880s, Bell. Uh, her parents and her four siblings moved to New York City and in 1896 when Belle was 18 her parents separated her father moved to Vladivostok Russia and her mother became a private music tutor I really could not figure out what happened between this couple Um, but it sounds kind of rough because obviously he went all the way to Russia and the family changed their last name to green with an e rather than greener um to separate themselves from him and also to make their name sound a little
0: more white so do you ever watch the muppets christmas carol of course okay so you know the love is gone song Uh uh-huh every single time i hear a story like this where we just don't know Mm -hmm. i sing that in my head (laughs)
1: Didn't they remove it? From, yeah, like, from, ne- from Disney+. Yeah. The love is gone. Because I thought that. Like, <laughs> last time I watched it, I was like, out. wasn't there a song? Like, yeah. right here the by emotional The emotional climax the of snow? the movie? <laughs> it may as well be C's this, this day. <laughs> and they took it out. Santa Fe, you mean. Oh. <laughs> I don't know the difference. <laughs>
0: That's how much I like
1: newsies. Santa Fe is Christian Bale's ballad, and it is an anthem. Is he singing
0: it in a bunk bed? no no is that seize the He's day singing they it start it in the bed?
1: streets okay oh a great scene and he does a little kicky kickity kicky kick kick dance that i <laughs> love to do by myself good <laughs> um if anybody knows what i'm talking about comment on the show page
0: just producer um
1: <laughs> so and this was around the time that Belle and her family started to pass as white so they had changed their name from greener to green and then bell had added the da costa to her name to kind of pretend that she had a portuguese grandmother to explain her slightly darker skin tone hmm. but she was still so light-skinned that ultimately like you know this worked and she passed as white for i believe the rest of her life wow <laughs> yeah pretty wild um and then she also claimed that she was born and raised in virginia which was not true and she again changed like we said earlier changed her birth date to appear four years younger than she actually was so she's just really doing it up she was like you know what it's the fucking 1800s bitch i can do whatever the fuck i want with my identity
0: (laughs) do you remember who who was that um woman who was born into slavery was it like um ellen clark or somebody oh, who passed as white yes. and pretended her husband was her slave <laughs> yes. and like snuck to the north i
1: love that story so much we covered it years ago i wish i could remember when and where that was but it is such
0: a great story yeah that had to be the time we did all all women of color i think Black we History did. month or yeah. something like that mm-hmm. yeah okay okay so cool says she's from virginia passing for white says mm-hmm. she's younger than she is this mm-hmm. girl's wild yep And maybe this was how she was able to start her
1: education and her career uh, in the 1890s. So in 1896, she was working as an assistant in a teacher's college office. And while she was there, she submitted an application to the Northfield Seminary for Young Ladies in Massachusetts. She even had a letter of recommendation from a wealthy white lady benefactor person who described Belle as bright, quick to learn, easily influenced, and full of fun and energy with ample brains and ability. Very cool. And then in the 1900s, she landed a job at Princeton University in the library.
0: Must be more than this provincial (laughs) life, girl! I know!
1: More than this Princeton life. Um, (laughs) It was during this time that she was trained in cataloging and reference work, and she developed a growing knowledge of rare books. It was also here that she met a man named Junius Spencer Morgan II. He was the associate librarian at the Princeton who was so impressed with Bell's work that he soon introduced her to his uncle, a Mr. J.P. Morgan. Wow. Well, J.P. Morgan was looking for someone to curate his own book collection, and sweet Junius said, I think this woman, Bell is perfect for the job. So in 1905, Bell began working as J.P. Morgan's personal
0: librarian. Okay, how many books
1: do you need <laughs> to have a personal book curator? Do you know? It's an unbelievable amount of books. Hundreds, de- thousands. We're dealing with thousands of books because we will learn that, like, they're giving away thousands of books and like at near the end of the story. It's wild. It is so many books. How many books do I have?
0: 500, 600? Somewhere around that, probably. <sighs> I can't have a personal library. I have one that lives with me, but yeah.
1: We'll see. Personal librarian. We'll see how it Um, goes. (laughs) I know JP Morgan. (laughs) So he had been constructing this beautiful building on Madison Avenue in New York City and Bell's, and that was going to be his library. Okay. This gorgeous building (laughs) on Madison Avenue. Wow. And Bell's first job was to unpack all the books, catalog them and move them into their new home. But shortly into her tenure, she proved even more capable than they thought, and she, was, and she was soon carrying on correspondence with the most important book dealers of the day. By 1909, she even had her own assistant, a woman named Ada Thurston, and she had become Morgan's chief consultant on bibliographic matters, which I love. And the two of them just had this, I hope so. <laughs> they just had this really lovely relationship. She even called him Big Chief. <laughs>
0: Which I think is so cute. I love that.
1: And she told him, I am going to elevate your library. <laughs> That was her promise to him. She, she sounds like a life coach. I'm going to elevate. 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 That's what I should have named the cocktail. Elevate. Um, so she told Morgan, who was willing to spend a lot of money for important works, that her goal was to make his library preeminent, especially for incunabula, manuscripts, bindings, and the classics. And with that, she started purchasing very rare books and manuscripts. She started expanding the library's art collection as well, advising him on purchasing collections from the old Italian masters and other gems of the art history world that are still in the collection today. She went abroad to Europe to literally spend millions of JP Morgan's dollars on items for the collection. She's his art buyer.
0: Okay, so (laughs) I'm just so like, she just is like, Okay. Living a dream life. Can you
1: even imagine? No, I can't. Having <laughs> limitless money to spend on cool shit.
0: <laughs> and, and like cool shit that you know about. Like mm-hmm. you are a very good librarian at that point that went to Princeton for this. It's so cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So,
1: and to make this whole thing even better, she did this all with the goal of eventually making the items that she was buying available for the public. So the collection was private now, but she always had this dream of eventually turning it into a public institution because she was really getting sick of people buying these really cool, rare things and just locking them away in vaults for no one to see. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, she's like also kind of Indiana Jones. I was about to yet. say, she be in a museum. Oh, <laughs> it starts with an I. Um, <laughs> Every time I say that, I feel like a fraud because it's no! not my joke. You're
0: part of the family, <laughs> baby, for years. We established last week you're doing my eulogy, I That's think. That's
1: true. That's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyways... Um, yeah. So she's planning on doing something about it. So she starts buying up everything. Mm. And 1911 was a particularly good year for Belle. Okay. She had gone on a real spending spree and was getting national recognition for her library skills and her negotiating skills. <laughs> did she buy, like, the Odyssey? So <laughs> <What did she laughs> buy?
0: <laughs> what did she buy? Okay.
1: So she brought the first Islamic art into the library. She bought these gorgeous, like, tiny, like, pieces of art from like these old books and stuff that were just like so so pretty. Oh like
0: illuminated manuscripts where yeah. it was, like the drawing in uh-huh. the books. Exactly. I love that.
1: Uh, they're like the, they're just like cool miniature ancient Persian paintings and she even wrote to us so much she goes Mr. Morgan wasn't particularly interested in this Persian art but I think the diver- the collection should be as diverse as possible. <laughs> and then <laughs> he wanted more copies of Jane Eyre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But the purchase that really put her on the map and made her world famous was a 1485 copy (laughs) of Thomas Mallory's book, Le Mort d'Artour, which was printed by William Caxton, who was credited with bringing the printing press to England. So this was like one of the first books printed on a printing press in England Damn! in 1485. Can you believe that? You have to wear gloves to touch that book. Oh, oh, we'll get into some of the things about <laughs> It has that to Bell be in, like airlocked, wild. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. It was the only perfect copy known to exist. So this is a very cool book, very rare, and Belle was like we got to have it. And JP was like go get it, girl. So she snags this book for $42,800. How much was Fo- that back Action then? House. A lot. Uh, that was about a million dollars.
0: Okay. But is that cheap for that book? So was it a
1: steal? Sh- yes, it was. So she writes in a letter. She goes, the book is actually valued at $75,000 and JP had given me permission to spend a hundred thousand dollars on it. So she goes, I got a pretty good deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she got it for a half price. Yeah, pretty much. But newspapers get wind of this and they start writing articles about this woman who, bought a $50,000 book because to people in the early 1900s, they're like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, who would spend that much on a book? In the 1912 profile about Belle, the New York Times referred to her as a force of persuasion and intelligence, and they said she deserved a hearty round of applause.
0: The New York Times. <laughs> You but, mean the one who makes every book a bestseller? Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> How can every book be a bestseller, Katie? I think that all the time.
1: <laughs> but Belle herself was not super happy with the publicity. She wrote in a letter that she was horrified at her picture appearing in uh, the Sunday world. This is what we're getting at when we're talking about like these like really cool, like kind of like watercolor pictures of her. She said, The picture they put of me made me look half actress and half college girl. <laughs> She said, even though they said I was like very quiet and self-contained in the auction, the picture made me look like really rambunctious and she didn't like that. And I think the thing that she's upset about is she's like, you know, I don't want to be seen as like this crazy woman who's just buying $50,000 books with some old guy's money. She's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at it and I want to be respected for it. Right. Which I totally get. Um, now this doesn't mean she totally shied away from attention. She was indeed a very fashionable lady about town. She again, like she liked to wear really cool outfits and big hats. And also some reports say she was not always quiet and self-contained at auctions. She could be very bold and brash. And one person reported that she once walked over to a rare manuscript and spit on it to see if the pigment would run. To see if it was a forgery. Oh my gosh, Belle! (laughs) Keep your spit in (laughs) your mouth! Can you imagine, though, like, (laughs) just the fucking gall to, like, spit on a book from, like, the 1400s?
0: (laughs) No! I cannot!
1: Unbelievable. Uh, Belle also had another gift that J.P. Morgan loved. She was really good at avoiding taxes on all these items that (laughs) they were importing from Europe. Belle! J.P. Morgan's biographer, Gene Strauss, described an example of this. Morgan hated paying customs duties, especially on art objects, and like countless of other travelers before and since, he evaded them whenever possible. And he quickly enlisted Belle as an ally in this tax evasion. <laughs> One year, she managed, by artfully letting the customs agents find several doucheable items of hers in her luggage to draw their attention away From a painting, three bronze statues, and a very expensive watch that he had asked her to buy in London. (laughs) So she's basically like, look over here, like letting herself get caught for some small things so she can sneak the big things into the United States. A
0: very smart decision. (laughs) Like, get rid of those tariffs.
1: She said, when I landed at the library with all of JP's treasures, well... (laughs) he and I did a war dance and laughed in great glee. (laughs) Wow. I just imagine them like in this room with all this treasure, just like,
0: yay, like holding (laughs) hands and jumping up and down. I mean, J.B. Morgan, I've never seen him as somebody who seems to be like a lot of fun, but this is making him seem to be very fun. I know. And this is the
1: whole thing about their relationship. Like people said that they were this awesome team Because her wild gay humor was a lovely contrast to his more serious nature. Like, he was this really serious guy. But I think, like, him and Belle just got along. And I think he just really liked her. And, like, (laughs) I don't know. I just, I love their relationship. Uh, And she was well paid for all that she did for him. Her annual salary was about $10,000 a year. Which is about $290,000 in today's money. (laughs) And then... When the big chief died in 1913, she was devastated. Mm. She wrote in a letter, "My heart and my life are broken." But thankfully, her pocketbook was not. Mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan left her 50,000 dollars in his will. Oh my God. the equivalent of 1.4 million dollars today. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> he just left her 1.4
1: mil. Yep. So she continued working for his son, and then in 1924, she was named director of the Pierpont Morgan Library. And this is when she was finally able to transition the library from personal to public, which was her goal all along. She said she wanted to create an institution that was dedicated to the facilitation of scholar endeavor in its myriad forms. She celebrated by mounting a series of exhibitions, one of which drew a record 170,000 people. Oh my God. And she also included a history of American art auctions. So she's showing people the collection and being like, also, like, this is how we got it. Like, this is how auctions work. And mm-hmm. here's a history of them, which is very cool. And, of course, she didn't stop buying items for the collection. There were a couple of really cool old books, like a Latin Bible from 1471 from Venice. I told you she Venice. was going to get a Bible. She's going to get a Bible. We all knew <laughs> it. Got
0: to get a good Bible. <laughs>
1: And every time she acquired a new piece, she painstakingly annotated all of them and added bibliographic references. She also wrote down notes that she made and notes made by visiting scholars. And she would write down questions because she was like, this is what I would love to know if we ever have the technology to know this. Mm -hmm. Which I think is... A really interesting thing
0: or like if ever like an expert in this area is in this library yeah. they can see that this is a question we have exactly i i love the idea that this is open to the public because so many book collections like this like you said are either privately owned or the people who own them like for example the national library in dc or the library that's housed in the vatican like you have to apply yeah to use that library mm-hmm. and if they don't like what you're writing about then they won't let you. Like yeah. So if you're writing something that's opposed to the Vatican or opposed to democracy in the U.S., they're like, sorry, you can't use the collection. Yep. And it's like, that's not what books are about. No. They're made to be read. So it's like you're, I don't know, it's very sad. It's like the yep. Christmas tree at the end of the season that nobody bought and decorated. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, yep. <laughs> you just like it. You feel like it was a waste of
1: its life. Yep, Exactly. One person said of her work, she is forming a continuous living record of the growth of knowledge. (laughs) What a compliment. What? (laughs) Which again is maybe why she wanted to be remembered as more than just the woman who bought the $50,000 book. Yeah. You know, Uh, beyond her library role, she took on various positions within the profession. She was one of the first women named as a fellow of the Medieval Academy of America, and she was a fellow with the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Because she was really, really um, entrenched in medieval art and things like that, you know, uh, which is really cool. And she was a legit expert on it. She also served on the editorial boards of the Gazette des Beaux-Arts and Art News. She was also the driving force behind a lot of initiatives that have formed how research libraries are designed today. She originated an active loan program to make it easier for research institutions to borrow items from each other's collection. She hosted guest lectures, graduate seminars, and meetings of various professional organizations uh, or organizations all to create an atmosphere of education and continued learning. She also organized and promoted 46 different special exhibitions and produced a comprehensive card catalog based on author, title, subject, and iconographic entries. To make access and research easier. Then, beyond making the Morgan Library an absolute public treasure, she also went through the collection and donated pieces to other museums. She donated 7,000 items to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, 1,300 to the Wadsworth Anthenaeum in Connecticut, and she also brokered the sale of hundreds of other pieces to places as far away as Madrid so that people around the world could experience and appreciate the Morgan Collection. And then to broaden access even more, she started to make reprints of some of the material. (laughs) And she started sending them to museums and libraries around the world, again, so that people could have access to the information without having to either wait for their loan to get shipped to them or come to the library. Mm. And then in 1935, she started a photography department to photograph the important material so that it could be even more widely distributed. She's like the original J-Store. Like,
0: (laughs) like, I, I need to get this to everybody. Exactly.
1: Belle also started to use infrared photography on some of the artwork so they could study it more in depth, an early type of what we would now call technical art history. So this is the kind of thing, like, this is the precursor to, like, undoing all the layers of the paint like and like seeing the what's brush under they they the Mona Lisa and the, like, right the oils mm-hmm. and, the... and even though we talked about her many gifts I think really this is the most important one her eagerness to connect institutions with one another and make research libraries better equipped so that more people can enter this field Mm. she just loved forming these lasting relationships with other museums and libraries and curators and bolstering their collections along with her own so she wasn't like everything's for me like and you suck like (laughs) she was constantly promoting other collections as well and being like yeah we should all get together and talk about what we got and what we can share with each other (laughs) She even became a consultant for the Walters Art Museum here in Baltimore and Woo-hoo! helped us get some of our pieces. Of course, people asked if she was really just Morgan's librarian or if she was his mistress, to which she replied, we tried, <laughs> which I think is really just her cheeky way of replying to, a frankly, sexist question, because it makes me feel like they're asking, like, are you actually good at your job or are you just sleeping with the boss? Right. And obviously, that's exactly
0: what they're asking. Yeah.
1: And obviously, as we just learned, she was very, very good at her job. And although she never married, she had a lasting romantic relationship with the Renaissance Italian art expert Bernard Berenson, whom she met in 1909. We also know that her mother lived with her and she helped raise her nephew Robert Mackenzie Leverage. But that's really all we know about her personal life. She served as director of the Morgan Library until she retired in 1948 at 69 years old. A year later, the Morgan Library staged an exhibition of over 250 of the best items that Belle had purchased, which she attended in a wheelchair. Mm. Then a year after that, Belle de Costa Green died on May 10, 1950 at St. Luke's Hospital in New York City. Mm. But unfortunately, this woman's Uh, This woman, whose life's mission seemed to be preserving and sharing information, burned all of her personal papers before her death. So, we are missing so much information about Belle, which is absolutely devastating.
0: That's what she wanted! (laughs) We do,
1: however, still have access to the letters that her lover Bernard Berenson kept. There are about 600 letters kept at his home in Italy, and at Harvard University's Center for Italian Renaissance Studies, and they are currently in the process of transcribing them so that hopefully we can get a picture of who Bell was as a person and not just a wheelin' and dealin' librarian. <laughs> in 2021, the historical fiction The Personal Librarian was written by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, And personally, I hope that we keep talking about Belle and we keep learning more about one of the coolest librarians to ever exist.
0: Amazing. Isn't she so fun? She (laughs) is so fun. (laughs) I, like, for, I, halfway through the story, forgot that she was, like, passing as white. Like, that's one of the things that just, like, slipped my mind. And then I was like, oh, wait, oh, wait. Yeah this could have just totally not been possible if she had a little more like yeah. and tone to her skin. And maybe that's
1: also why she like didn't love like the portraits. Pitch, the portraits of herself being published. Like I think she liked having portraits taken of herself. Yeah. But I think she didn't love like other people drawing her. Or scrutinizing it. Like, or scrutinizing it. it and being like Hmm, you know,
0: <laughs> I mean, she probably felt like there was a chip on her shoulder or she had something to prove or maybe she didn't feel like that at all. Maybe yeah. she was so proud of her heritage and just didn't want to be fired or turned away no. or have a scandal, you know, released. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. But what a great story. That was so, so great. Fun. So thank you, Corrine. Uh And we
1: are going to be back with more cocktails.
0: Woo. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right, so all week, I'm looking at the list, and it was Sunday, and I was like, (sighs) talking to producer, I was like, I need to get started because I'm doing Emmeline Pankhurst. Then it's Monday. And I was like, I really, (laughs) really need to get started because I'm doing Emmeline Pankhurst. It's Tuesday. I really need (laughs) to get started because I'm doing Emmeline Pankhurst. And then producer stops me. On Tuesday, and goes, Stop pretending everyone knows who Emily Pegarest is. And I said, Everyone does know who Emily Pegarest is. Nope. Uh, i literally so just funny. was like
1: i have no idea who she, and i made the list this year so, so i have funny. no idea
0: i've been avoiding her <laughs> because i know how like how much she did i didn't know this much about her but uh-huh. i was like that's a big story
1: <laughs> well now i feel terrible for giving it to you in like the middle of this season.
0: <laughs> no we need i've had a couple short weeks in a row so oh, this okay. is gonna be grand good 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 <laughs> um okay so do you want to know what you're drinking yes Okay, so this is called Smash and Fast, (laughs) and it is, get ready, an ounce and a half of vodka, a half an ounce of slow gin, an ounce and a half of Bailey's Irish cream with espresso on top. Then you put some broken glass ice (laughs) on it and dried cilantro, because some people hate cilantro and some people love it, but everyone hates it dried out. Yeah, that's true. It looks (laughs) terrible. It looks terrible. Cheers. Cheers. Mm.
1: creamy good very creamy coffee i like it yeah
0: it's good i um i did the slow gin for color i Mm. really wanted some of that like
1: whitish purple yeah um like opaqueness yeah
0: and like the the, you know a little bit of the suffrage color the white Mm -hmm. the purple the green like everything's kind of like mixed together but I like it. That's what we're going to be drinking, so no. buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> buckle up. Okay, tell me what you know about Emmeline Pankhurst. Like I don't know
1: anything. Mm-hmm. I,
0: you said that she was like the Susan B. Anthony of England,
1: so I'm guessing that she wanted votes for women in, in England. She did. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's literally it. I'm sure all of our listeners in the
0: U.K. are like, how do you not know? <laughs> <laughs> she is bananas in the best way in the okay. best way she um is so much like so many of the suffrage warriors in america but she kind of started it Ooh. so because cool. uh england was a little bit before us in the votes for women they um she was like one of the people who was like really at the precipice of like making this happen okay okay oh. <clears throat> so we're gonna talk about Emmeline. she did so much was so nuts. Is so fun. All of her daughters are crazy and also fun. So we're <laughs> we're gonna really do it up. Okay. 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 Emmeline Golden, Golden G O U L D E N Golden, Golden.
1: Yeah. Okay. I would think
0: Emmeline Golden was born in Manchester, England, on July fifteenth, eighteen. 18- 58 as a kid she went by emily because that was the name she preferred at the time but Emmeline was her real adult professional name i love the name Emmeline. oh my gosh i teach back i teach an emiline at school this year really first one i've ever never heard of that and i was like do you go by Emmeline?" and she was like no she was like (laughs) everybody (laughs) asks me that i was like it's spelled the same as Emmeline. it's just a caroline carolyn type thing oh okay okay Um, although her birth certificate says that she was born on the 15th of July, she claimed that she was born on the 14th of July because that's Bastille Day and most biographies, including the ones that her daughter wrote, repeat that claim during her life. She said, I've always thought that the fact that I was born on Bastille Day had some kind of influence on my life. So she really liked that it was the day that the women stormed for bread. She really wanted that. (laughs) For generations, her family had been part of political agitation in the UK. Her mother's family had been from the Isle of Man, which is one of those small islands in between Ireland and Great Britain. And they're like a self-governing island that's still dependent on like the UK in 1881, the Isle of Man was the first country to grant women the right to national election votes. Oh, very cool. And that's in the 1880s. Yeah. So that's neat. Her dad's interesting as well. He was a self-made man. His mother worked for the Anti-Corn League. And his father was press ganged into joining the Royal Navy, which that's when you were, like, physically forced in a group oh. of people to, like, sign yeah. up for the Navy. Um, And his dad was also present at, um, or her dad was also present at the Peterloo Massacre, which is when 60,000 people in Manchester, England, had gathered to ask for reform in Parliament, and it turned into this really riotous atmosphere. People died. So... What I'm trying to say of all this is her parents are really into politics. Yeah. And also, Manchester, England at that time is really into politics. London was the center for money and economics, but Manchester was the center for thought and philosophy. Interesting. Yeah, and, yeah. like, really... um as far as I could tell from reading, like, really the, like, progressive radical movements. Kind of feels like
1: um, in the uh, Revolutionary War times, like, mm-hmm. there was, some, like, Philadelphia mm-hmm. and New York. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there was a lot of political action going on in, like, Philly. Yeah. And, like, Boston.
0: Right. And they're just, like, not quite the economic center. Yeah. yeah they're mm-hmm. a little off the yep. mark. <laughs> so Emmeline is being born into this Manchester. Her parents' first child had died at three, but they went on to have ten other children. Whoa. Whoa is right. With Emmeline being the oldest of five daughters. Soon after her birth, the family moved and her dad co-founded this small business. He was active in local politics and supported the dramatic theater. He owned a theater of his own and acted as the lead in all these Shakespeare plays. And because of this, Emmeline absorbed a big appreciation for the arts which she later used in her activism. <laughs> she very is a cool. very big Emily's parents believed in including their children with them wherever they went even in their social activism she was often at meetings where important people were there for example she at a very young age was in support of the anti-slavery movement in the u.s wow so she's meeting henry ward beecher who's the brother of harriet beecher (laughs) Stowe, like just like coming through these meetings so she's in the right movements. Mm-hmm. She's, like, collecting money to send to newly freed slaves as, like, a preteen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Across the ocean. Like, I can't imagine thinking about that. No. Before the internet exists as a preteen. Well,
1: it's also, like, the idea of, like, hey, can you take this money on your boat all the way to America and give it to this
0: person? Like, <laughs> who's doing who's that? Who's doing no, that? No, no, no. The- Who can you trust to do that? No one. Not That's a soul. <laughs> Maybe Henry Ward Beecher. Maybe. <laughs> so... As a child, apparently, she read and read and read ferociously. She loved books. Some say that she was fully reading by the age of three. She's reading the Odyssey. She's reading revolutionary history about France. She's reading about the pilgrims going to the United States. And despite her advancement... She wasn't given educational advantages. Ah, her brothers. Was stuck in a book. Duh. <laughs> her brothers and other boys in general were. Mm. Her parents, yes, were ahead of their time, but not in everything. Much like other British families, they believed that she needed to learn the art of making a home attractive so that she had the skills, this is a quote, that her future husband deserved. Oh, deserved. Deserved. They talked about education a lot in their house, but her family expected that she would marry young and avoid paid work. What's weird is the family did believe in suffrage and the general advancement of women. However, they believed that their daughters were incapable of the goals of their male peers. Her dad even said, what a pity that she wasn't born a lad. <laughs> like, shut, shut up. I, I can't. Uh, I can't.
1: Yeah, especially because, like, we've done so many stories of women from this time period whose dads treated them like lads. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make sure you get an education. Exactly. exactly. It was possible.
0: People did it. And People he was so, it. they, both her parents were so forward thinking. It's crazy yeah. to me that they felt this way. That's wild. The thing is, though, it was through her parents that she gained interest in the women's suffrage movement. Emmeline was first introduced to the subject when her mom would read Women's Suffrage Journal. At 14, Emmeline... Is it Emmeline or Emmeline? It's Emmeline. (laughs) I'm going to say it wrong the whole time because of my student. It's Emmeline. At age 14, Emmeline returns home from school and finds her mom on her way out to a women's voting rights meeting. And she insists on being allowed to attend. She goes to the meeting and afterwards she wrote, I left the meeting a conscious and confirmed suffragist. (laughs) I mean, we all know how that feels, right? Like when you really know what you believe for the first time, it is so great. I, yeah,
1: I have an exact moment that that happened for me when I was, I had to go to like a documentary For my anthropology class, Mm. and it was the documentary Misrepresentation, and I was like, "What? (laughs) (laughs) This is happening me as a
0: (laughs) no college-aged
1: woman like didn't know this
0: was happening. Like, what? (laughs) Exactly, it was shocking to me, right? And I like that's the moment where she had this like I am confirmed that this is my path in life at fourteen years old." A year later, she went to Paris for school and she was provided with the ability to learn chemistry and bookkeeping in addition to feminine education like embroidery. Her roommate while at school was the daughter of this man who was in prison for a whole bunch of years for his revolutionary acts against the French government. So again, she is surrounded by people mm-hmm. who are revolutionary. Um, this girl and her share all these tales of ex- their their parents' exploits and they be stay friends for generations they're friends for like their whole lives Emmeline liked school so much that she even returned there as a parlor boarder while her sister was going there, which means you could pay a little extra and stay at school and just continue to study, but you're like an adult, so you're not forced to go to classes. Okay,
1: so you're kind of, um, what do they call it? Um,
0: Like a chaperone. Auditing classes yes, or whatever yes, it's called. So yes, yeah. auditing classes. She's at this place. She's with her sister. Sounds fun. It does sound fun. If somebody, do that, would, now, if somebody like... would pay me to be a student forever, <laughs> I would not teach another day in nope. my life. In Not my life, <laughs> um, so but that's what we're doing with this podcast. We're that's just being true. students. We're and just talking being about it. students of <laughs> the
1: written world, whatever.
0: Her <laughs> roommate had quickly found a Swiss partner husband. Um, and she's like, oh, I'm going to find you a suitor as well. So she finds her one and Emmeline is so in love and she gets proposed to, but her dad refuses to provide a dowry. Again, he's ahead of his times, but also behind his times. Um, so he quickly withdrew his offer to Emmeline and she returns to England miserable. That's so sad. It is sad. So she's 20 years old and she meets and begins a relationship with Richard Pankhurst. He was a lawyer and an advocate for women's suffrage and other things like freedom of speech, educational reform, the social labor unions. He's 44, so he's 24 years older than her when they met. And for years, he had said, as a barrister, I'm going to remain a bachelor to better serve the public. But their mutual affection is powerful. Emmeline's mom is like chastising her. She's like, don't throw yourself at the man. You don't text him after the first date. (laughs) Like, play it cool. Emmeline, come on. (laughs) Play the game. Exactly. Play it, baby girl. (laughs) But she's like, no way. She goes to him and she's like, we don't need to get married. We can avoid the legal formalities of marriage altogether. I don't care. We can enter into a free union. Um, But he objects. On the grounds that he sees how unmarried women are treated and that she will better be able to serve her own political agenda if she's married. Because um, he's a okay. perfect man, we love this allyship. What a
1: great <laughs> person! Thank
0: you, Richard Pankhurst. Thank you, Richard Pankhurst. And he doesn't become worse. That's the, oh, love that love for it.
1: him. You I'm gonna could. make a tote bag that says "Thank you, Richard Pankhurst." <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yes, this podcast is about women.
0: Let's <laughs> make really
1: it's about Richard Pankhurst.
0: <laughs> thank you, sir. So, um, they do get married finally in 1879. The late 1880s, they really start living and she, they get living a, it up. They are living it up, but like in the most traditional way, <laughs> it's crazy. They get a house first, like they get married and they live like near her parents. Then they are living like across the street from where his parents used to live. Oh, like Casey and I. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then they like, she's doing what she's supposed to do as a mother mm-hmm. and wife. She's like, let me check these boxes so I can get them out of the way. But she's still devoting time to being a political activist. She gives birth to five children in 10 years. Whoa. She has. In the 1880s, has three girls and two boys. The girls are going to be important. They're Christabel. What a great name. Sylvia and Adela. Ah, I know. Three great names. I know. Really good ones. Um, Both she and Richard. I don't even care about the boys. (laughs) (laughs) Both she and Richard agreed, though, that she would not be a household machine. The family hired a butler to help raise the children hey. so that she could involve herself in the women 's suffrage society a butler uh-huh. interesting get a boy okay ra- get a boy to raise the kids
1: <laughs> but just beware of him trying to poison your creme de la creme de la edgar
0: exactly it 's going to be wild okay a few years into their marriage, her husband leaves the liberal party and begins expressing more and more radical socialist views and arguing cases in courts against wealthy businessmen. He was like the kind of guy who was like, we should get rid of the Lord system in England. Like this is wrong for the people. This rouses some serious ire against Richard and the mood in the house is very, very tense because he's not making a lot of money because rich people don't like him. Mm -hmm. So they have to move around a lot. Um, because Emmeline is really interested in getting her husband's views heard, so that she can get her views heard. Uh-huh. They end up living in London, where her husband unsuccessfully runs for office. She and her sister Mary Jane open a small fabric shop to like keep the finances coming, but it's not doing great. Towards the end of the 1880s, though, it's the end of this ten-year period. Her son Frank develops diphtheria and <gasps> dies. Oh she 's overwhelmed with grief, commissions two portraits of her dead son, like these portraits, but she 's unable to look at them and hides them like in her closet, just like hides them away. The family concluded that it 's this faulty drain in their house that got blocked up and caused their son 's illness, diphtheria. She blames the condition of living in this cruddy neighborhood, and the family tries to move to a more affluent mm-hmm. area. She's soon pregnant again. That's with her fifth child. That's the fifth of the ones I talked about earlier. Um, And she declares that it's Frank coming again. And it actually is another boy. And she names him Henry Francis in the older brother's honor. So now, even though she had five kids, she has three older girls and one son. Okay. Their home in Russell Square, London, is the center of political intellect socialists protesters anarchists suffragists free thinkers radicals humanitarians everybody you could think of is coming through this house and she took pleasure in decorating the home with artifacts from all over the world like this like eastern asian furniture and like all this cool stuff so that people would really like being there and they had so many famous guests Mm -hmm. at this time A lot of women coalitions are starting. Remember, her mom back in the day was doing the women's suffrage movement. Mm -hmm. So now we're getting a lot of organizations in England looking for suffrage. But- They were very different in what they believed. (laughs) Should we allow single women to vote? Should we allow married women to vote? Is it a husband's job to vote for his married wife? What about widows? What about what's the age limit? Is it 30? Is it 18? Is it 20? Mm -hmm. Should they have at that point you had to be a male property owner. Even men that didn't own property couldn't vote. So it's like, what are the rules for women voting? So Pankhurst started the Women's Franchise League in 1889. It included famous women like Josephine Butler, Elizabeth Clark Wolsterholm, and Harriet Eaton Stanton Blanche. The daughter of Elizabeth Katie Stanton is in her first
1: group. Well, that's pretty cool. I know.
0: <laughs> Even this early organization was considered radical. Mm-hmm. Because if you spoke while a man was speaking, you were seen as a radical political woman. Because she supported equal rights, even in areas of divorce and inheritance, people really didn't agree with her. So her group, even after a year, begins to splinter Uh, as well because she is too radical. Her family's finances are in trouble in London. Her fabric shop is not taking off. Richard has to travel farther and farther Mm. to find clients. So they move back to Manchester. Emmeline begins to work with several political organizations and um, distinguishes herself as an advocate for the first time. This is when historians say she stepped out of her husband's shadow and became her own person when they went back to Manchester. She's working on suffrage and labor rights, but quickly became disenfranchised when they would let inequality happen. Like, for example, she's in this group and they wouldn't support Irish people. And she was like, "I don't want to be in your group anymore." Yeah. Then that's stupid. So she sh- ends up joining the Independent Labour Party. Um, they initially turned her away because she was a woman, but she joined nationally, and then they had to let her in, so it was fine. <laughs> and her daughter later said that her mom believed that the Independent Labour Party was going to solve all the problems in England. Like her mom is all in. In this organization, she was the head of people living in poverty. Her technical title was the Poor Law Guardian. <laughs> She would distribute food to men and women who were scraping by and for the first time she visited workhouses. She said the first time I went into a place I was horrified to see little girls seven and eight on their knees scrubbing the cold stone of the long corridors. She saw pregnant women doing hard labor. She saw people with bronchitis doing labor and she immediately started to change the conditions. She's going in and doing stuff and established herself as a figurehead in this organization that was previously all men yeah and there were some guys that didn't like it and pushed back but she was a force um i wasn't sure but around this time she and two other men violated some court order and they would not pay the fines her husband volunteered as legal counsel the two men spent time in prison but the judge was worried about arresting such a well respected woman (laughs) so he wouldn't do it so, when someone asked her if she was prepared to spend some time in prison, she said, Oh, yes, quite. It wouldn't be so very dreadful, you know. It would be a valuable experience. <laughs> she is ready to go to jail, and that's going to become regular in her okay. life. Okay. During this time, Richard's having some serious stomach pains. He had developed a gastric ulcer, and his health starts to deteriorate. He got better and relapsed. Depending on where they lived, they would like mm-hmm. move to the country so he mm-hmm. had fresh air, and then they would come back to have clean air. But Emmeline takes her daughter Christabel, who is easily her favorite daughter. Everyone <laughs> knows it. It's in all the biographies. She loves Christabel the best. She takes her to meet her old roommate in Switzerland. Um, While they're there, she gets a telegram from Richard that says, I am not well. Please come home, my love. Oh, my gosh. She left her daughter with her friend, her roommate, and returns to England immediately. While she's on the train there, she sees a newspaper (gasps) announcing her husband's death. Yeah. Sees it in the newspaper. Oh, my gosh. She's on the train in between England and Manchester. She had made it all the way back from Switzerland. Oh, my God. I know. That's awful. Crazy. When Richard died, she had a lot of new responsibilities and a lot of new debt. And nobody's a moneymaker now. You know, she's lost everything. She moves her family to a smaller house. She resigns from her place as guardian of poor people. (laughs) She gets a standard job in the registrar keeping records and this job gave her more insight into women. She wrote in her autobiography. They used to tell me their stories, dreadful stories, some of them and all of them pathetic with the patent uncomplaining pathos of poverty. She just couldn't understand how everybody's just fine with being poor and like, everybody's fine with being rich and nobody's helping each other. She's Mm -hmm. just so upset. Um, she then was elected to the Manchester School Board and saw issues there. She's like, girls don't have the same opportunities to learn. This is ridiculous. I hate it. I can't just sit here and do nothing. Um, and then many of her children began to get on board. They're adults now, too. So Christabel and Sylvia and Adela were now expected to believe what their mother believed. Okay. They couldn't just join the suffrage movement. They had to be an activist in mm-hmm. addition to living their lives. That was mm-hmm. it. No other choice. Her eldest daughter, Christabel, um, was with her every step of the way. <laughs> she was her right-hand woman in all of the suffrage stuff. Her daughter, Sylvia, got lessons and a scholarship to art school and went on to study in Florence and Venice Um. Adela and Henry kind of struggled for a while. Adela ends up in a boarding house for a bit. She does get onto the suffrage movement, but she was like the third daughter down, and I just don't think she felt as connected to her mom. Yeah. Um, and Henry had gotten the measles and had really bad health and vision problems. Oh, like wow. he's not doing well. The boys in this family really all kick it pretty soon. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, both boys and the dad. <laughs> it's like only yeah. the only the female Pankhurst yeah. lives. <laughs> By 1903, she is pissed that the speeches and promises about women's rights held no changes. Suffrage activists are often seen as pissed off. There are pictures of them and political Mm -hmm. cartoons of them being dragged away by the police. But I need everybody to remember that they had asked nicely for multiple generations. Yeah. It is not like they just showed up one day and were like, fuck you, let me vote. Yeah. That mm-hmm. didn't happen. Yeah. They went to meeting after meeting and watched bill after bill turn down. It's like when I walk in the house and I'm like, hey, honey, to my daughter, can you please put your shoes away? uh uh-huh. Walk back to. Him. Honey, can you please put your shoes away? <laughs> <laughs> Ten times later. Put your fucking shoes away. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? And it just yep. like it takes all of this, like Every time you ask Mm -mm. nice, it just shows so much disrespect that nobody's listening to you when you're being nice. Yeah. And that's what's happening. Mm. It's crazy. Woo! So, (laughs) (laughs) there's multiple promising suffrage bills coming up. None of them made any difference because they would never pass. So, she broke with every other institution. She founded a new institution, the Women's Social and Political Union, the WSPU. Their motto, deeds, not words. We will never just speak. We're doing shit. I love that. Always. Yeah. That's I do fantastic. Too. That's the tote bag. Yeah. <laughs> that was almost the name of the podcast, but smash and fast is yeah. better. <laughs> so You mean the cocktail? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? You said the podcast. I was um, like, was it really? It's like, words. that's kind of crazy. No that, no, that was never <laughs> almost the name. We had a list. So that wasn't all there. Um, from this point forward... She refused to talk to any other group that didn't put women's suffrage first. She said, I'm sorry. We're not connecting with any other organization. If women's suffrage is not your only goal, then I'm not connecting with you. Mm -hmm. Get out. They begin... They begin as a non-violent rally group, <laughs> doing speeches, <laughs> and they're holding women's right parliament meetings. And these parliament meetings would be really close to the real parliament meetings, so that they could like hear if something like get the news that something was going to be filibustered, and then they would begin these loud protests mm-hmm. while they were filibustering the women's voting. and then police would escort them away because they were being violent criminals for trying to speak over men and interrupt parliament even though all parliament does is yell at each other (laughs) before long her group is picking up steam all three daughters are involved all three daughters are getting arrested outside of parliament on one of the first occasions Christabel is being led away by parliament um, and she turns around and spits in a police officer's (sighs) face She did this to ensure that she would be taken in. And then when she got taken in, instead of paying the fine, she opted to go to prison. This was an attention-grabbing move. Christabel is beautiful. And her and her mom are famous. And the press is talking about it. It's all over the newspaper that this beautiful, you know, middle-class woman Uh is being arrested for spitting on a police officer. Emmeline is also arrested for trying to enter parliament to give the prime minister a message. And she is charged with obstruction of justice for trying to bring in a message and get six weeks in prison. And then she starts writing and speaking about prison constantly because that's all the press wants to hear. Let me tell you about the rats. Let me tell you about the gross food. Let me about, let me tell you about the torture of absolute silence. And then her group, Begins to become violent. They saw being imprisoned as the best way to get public attention to the fact that women's suffrage was an important issue Mm -hmm. and that it is actually killing women to not be able to say anything. Once at a protest, she struck an officer twice in the face to ensure that she was arrested and that she would, when she goes to court, she said, we are here, not because we're lawbreakers, but because we're lawmakers. And that's the type of shit that was getting printed on the cover of the newspaper for everybody in England. So cool. Again. They would not interact with any organization where women's suffrage wasn't the primary goal. They protested loudly against male candidates. They specifically targeted Winston Churchill. (laughs) And when he lost, the opponent attributed his loss to, quote, those women who are sometimes laughed at. (laughs) And these women were laughed at. They were heckled. For their protests, they were attacked by groups of men. People would throw eggs at them and clay and packed snow. Um, Emmeline would, (laughs) she's like, listen, guys, you can do whatever you want to us. We're going to keep going until we can effing vote. Like, that's the rule. But not everyone in the party wanted what they had started doing. Mm -hmm. They wanted more rank and file in the suffrage movement. So in turn, Emily canceled their annual meeting and was like, if you don't agree with what I'm doing, you can get out. Mm -hmm. So she created a small little group of her own of all women who agreed with her. Um, And she said, fuck you if you don't agree with me. (laughs) So in 1908, 500,000 activists rally in Hyde Park to demand votes for women Uh, And the politicians don't really care very much. They're Mm -hmm. indifferent. So some of the women from her group went up and tried to start making speeches. But officers are pushing them away and actually pushing them into crowds of opposing people who had gathered. Mm -hmm. Um, Frustrated by this, two of the women in their group go to 10 Downing Street and throw rocks through the windows. (laughs) (laughs) And um, here we have the smash and now we have the fast. In 1909 these women, when they get arrested, start hunger strikes. (gasps) No. They put it in their repertoire. A woman is arrested for writing on parliament walls and throwing bricks into 10 (laughs) Downing Street or whatever they're doing. They go to prison. They refuse to eat. But if they stop eating... They're going to die in prison, so they have to be let go because that's really bad press if these wealthy women start dying at the hands of prison guards. So they let them go to get healthy and then re-arrest them when they do the next thing. That's really
1: interesting because that was not uh, the fate of the American women who did mm. hunger strikes in prison. They were force fed.
0: Oh, well, these women get force fed too. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. It's, coming. It's, it's, it's coming. coming. it's coming.
1: The funnels are on their way. Oh,
0: yes. The metal <laughs> gags are coming. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. Ooh, God. Iron-jawed angels. They Hillary Swank.
0: Uh-huh. Very it's... good
1: movie, but the force feeding scenes are horrendous. Yes.
0: Um so this proves effective for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um 14 women start the smashing and fasting trend. Uh prison authorities start force feeding these women with Ugh. tubes. There's a really amazing picture of this being happening to a Pankhurst. Mm-hmm. Like you can see it online. It's on um if you go to Emmeline Pankhurst Wikipedia and flick through the pictures, it's oh, one of the pictures. So you should wild. go to it because it yeah. is so eerie Ugh. um so click on the f- everybody at home click on the first picture on emily and Pankhurst wikipedia and then you can flip through the pictures put your lemons down just take a pause in the, Fuck the lemons. <laughs> this, this is really important <laughs> because it is so eerie Ugh. um these painful techniques involve steel gags to force mouth op- mouths open and it brought condemnation From suffragists around the world, the public is angry, the medical professionals are angry. Did you find it? I haven't found it yet. Oh, my God. There's all these tabs on her fucking Okay, yo, tell me when you find it, because it is outrageous and you need to describe it. Okay. Um. so many tabs on her story. (laughs) The medical professionals, people in the public. I have seen this photo before. Yeah. It's
1: horrible. Isn't it crazy? You can see her eyes being like... So
0: the fear in her eyes mm-hmm. is awful. Yeah. It is not an easy picture to look at. And
1: it's hard too cuz like there's obviously like two male doctors on the left and then two
0: females on the right, yes. which is really mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. So we have everybody angry now about this. Everybody knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Coverage on these women is mixed though. Some thought the radical approach is great. Others thought it's childish. And they started to refer to the women as the diminutive suffragette. But Emmeline loved it and leaned into the joke and started to call herself a suffragette. <sighs> the Pankhursts are the people where we get the term suffragette from. I didn't realize that that was meant to be an insult, an insult. that women leaned into. They oh were like, fine, God. fuck you, I'll
1: take it. I guess it would be like if you called someone like a lawyerette. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's why up to this point, if you listen back, I did a good job. I said suffrage or suffragist. Oh, Up to yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to call them suffragettes because yeah. that's what they wanted. Interesting. Another thing that came out of this movement is the phrase votes for women. They didn't have a lot of space on banners and they wanted to hold up when will women get the vote, but it was too much mm, to hold mm-hmm. up. So votes for women became their phrase. Another thing we get from Sylvia, her daughter, who was the art student, is the green, white and purple banners that started oh to God. be used. She created all that art. That's so cool. The second Pankhurst daughter. So now we have like three of the biggest things yeah. about the suffrage <laughs> movement come from this one family. That's, That's crazy. so cool. The last bit of the 1800s was hard on her. She had lost her husband... She was giving all of her energy to others, to her friends, to her community, to her daughters, to speaking tours. The U.S. asks her to come. And she's worried about leaving her son, Henry, who at this point is paralyzed because he had inflammation in the spine. But she needs money to care for him. So she goes to the U.S. She does a successful tour. She makes money. Again, they can't vote in the U.S. either. She comes home. Her son dies Mm. shortly after. Five days after his death, she has to go and speak to a crowd of five thousand people in Manchester, and liberal supporters came to heckle her. But because her son just died, they were quiet in the crowds. Like that's really, you it know. it is nice. Like people gave a, a fair amount of res- respect to this woman. Yeah,
1: I kind of I miss things like that. Where it's to like, there are certain things you just don't do, mm-hmm. you know.
0: And I, that's a,
1: you know, I don't
0: know. We're not like that anymore. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> so the government decides to come to her and they're willing to make a truce. They're like, look, there's a new bill on the floor while we negotiate the bill. Please stop the hunger strikes. Please stop the window breaking. Like, mm-hmm. let's stop the smashing and fasting. She's like, sure, but if the bill doesn't pass, we're, we're gonna write back again. to yeah. it <laughs> and we're gonna be even more crazy. <laughs> um and Emily honestly hated the hunger strikes, not because they weren't working, but because she said that she would never forget the screams of the women around her in prison. Who were being force-fed by tubes. Because she's sitting there too. It's not like she wasn't in prison. And sh- these women are working for her. Oh, yeah, I was They're just going to say that. They're being tortured for her.
1: It's like you must feel like, well, it's okay if I do this to myself. But, like, it's like there's, like, this responsibility that she's placing on herself of, like, now these women are suffering tenfold because mm-hmm. of me. Yeah. Because, like, I'm doing this and they feel like they should do this too. It's like... Because it's not even like... It doesn't seem to me like she's forcing these Mm -hmm. women to take part in the smash and fast. She isn't. She isn't
0: at all. And she says that. She says, I never asked them to Mm -hmm. do this. There is a really cool speech. I didn't include this anywhere in the notes, But there's a cool speech that um, a woman reads on YouTube. Um, There's a really cool YouTube channel. I'll have to look up the name. Where they get an actor to read the speech that the Mm. person said like Mm -hmm. the actual speech and at the very end she is kind of brave she says i i incite action yeah because a lot of politicians will say i didn't incite them to do that Mm -hmm. and she's like no i did i i'm telling people to act i'm not telling them how to act yeah i'm telling them to act yeah well i would say too like she's inspiring people to act yes like
1: they like this was a choice they made because they're like, okay, I want to be a part of this. And like, this seems to be like what we're doing right now.
0: Yeah. And she keeps going. Mm-hmm. The bill doesn't pass. Mm-hmm. And Emmeline leads a march of 300 women to Parliament Square. But they're met by an aggressive response from the police. They were directed by Winston Churchill. Officers were punching marchers, they oh were twisting God. their arms, they were pulling on women's breasts. <gasps> and um she was given permission to enter parliament but then the prime minister refused to meet her that day became known as black friday mm. her sister was arrested for a third time during this and sentenced to a month in prison her sister came home 2 days uh before christmas and then died right after her release oh and that's how God. hard this was on these women's bodies they were starving themselves they were being force fed they were being punched in public they were true like they were laying their bodies on the line to allow women to vote Mm -hmm. Emmeline was not giving up she's driving around the country giving speeches every time a new bill comes up and is shot down she starts heavy militant protests she's smashing windows it's not that she's not getting arrested she's doing it too Um, this led the police to raid her offices. The WSPU offices are raided and her and her co-partner, who's also named (laughs) Emmeline, surprisingly, (laughs) uh, are both, they're convicted of conspiracy Mm. because of all these women. They're trying to figure out how to get them in prison long term. Her daughter, um... Christabel is also wanted by the police, so she goes to Paris and exiles herself and then like directs strategy from Paris. oh my god um Emmeline in prison this time is doing a hunger strike, joined by all the women in cells around her, and she said the place became because it was three hundred women, and that's mm. where became a horror film of screaming mm. and craziness, and she started holding up the clay jar of water and told the jail guards if they came in she's smashing it on their heads doesn't matter so like people wouldn't even go in her cell because she was like crazy and would hit them and I don't mean crazy like she's crazy I mean crazy like she's crazy angry yeah They only um, force-fed her in the beginning because of her violence. They couldn't really do anything about it. And then they have to let her out of jail because of her poor health so that she wouldn't die. And this happens over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. So um, she starts to try to evade the police by wearing disguises. And (laughs) then she establishes a trained female jujitsu bodyguard squad. For what? herself. She is a trained jujitsu female bodyguard squad for the WSPU. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, I cannot. And I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> Please get me some jujitsu bodyguards. I just immediately I... <laughs> immediately. Protect me from the police. Jesus Christ. Okay so then the group adopts arson <laughs> this is when things get a little bit out of control the prime minister goes to the royal theater and some suffrage activists attempt to cause an explosion using gunpowder and during the same night another woman throws an axe at a carriage that has a parliament leader in it oh my god I would, they're
1: getting really violent this now. is terrorism yeah. I
0: would call that terrorism and Emily and her daughter like we did not tell them to do this yeah. <laughs> like we're not telling them to kill people human lives are not like dispensable yeah but if arson is how they need to express
1: themselves (laughs) because again like you said they've been asking nicely for so long and now it's like well what it's like will you pay attention to what will you pay attention to Mm -hmm. like the stakes get higher and higher the more that you ignore a a group of people who need something yeah this is something that is like
0: non-negotiable of like
1: We literally have, we're half the population in this country and we have no power in it. Like, what the fuck?
0: We have no say. Nobody will listen to us. Mm -hmm. We're not even, not even half a person. Yeah. Well, and also again, it's like seeing the
1: broader picture too of like not even men who didn't own property could vote. So it's like, this is not even just about them. It's about everyone who is not a white male property owner. right? Like this is bigger than just votes for women. And I think that's also an important thing. To keep in mind mm-hmm. of like, because Emily does not strike me as the person who's like, okay, yes, votes for wives of property owners, but not for anybody else. No. Like, <laughs> no, 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 That's not her. Yeah.
0: Over the next two years, this type of behavior continues. Famously, uh, Emily Davison goes to the horse Derby and goes out to give, oh, Yes. um, she's, There are two stories here. Another haunting photo. A very haunting photo. She's either giving this message to this person and or throwing herself in front of the horse. Some people are sure it's suicide, taking her own life. And some people think it is an activist gone bad trying to, like... Make a statement. So she dies. Her funeral has 55,000 attendees. Some women um, are sneaking hatchets into prime minister's carriages that say votes for women on <laughs> the handle. Others are slashing famous paintings in museums anytime Emmeline is arrested. Uh, I mean, they're being like they're trying to get public attention any way they can. Yeah. But a lot of people left the group because of this. Her longtime friend and partner, the other Emmeline, and her husband are like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't do this. And then her youngest daughter, Adela, is like, I don't want to damage stuff. Mm -hmm. This is not for me. Like, I can be involved in, in suffrage, but this is bad. But then the problem is the news for like the remainder of Emmeline's life is about her relationship with her and her daughters. Like it becomes like a Kardashian story. Yeah. Um so Adela leaves not for me, but then the bigger dagger is that Sylvia speaks on the platform of another suffrage movement gathering. And Emmeline could kind of deal with it, but Christabel, the oldest sister is fucking pissed. Mm. She says you have your own ideas, and we don't want that. Like, stick to the platform. This is our message. Mom and me. Yeah. Be on be on brand. And Sylvia's like, well, that fucking sucks. Like, yeah. I have an opinion, too. Well,
1: and also, like, if, like, when Emmeline had people that were like, you know, I'm going against your opinion, like, she would start her own group. So, right. like, she's actually doing more so what her, she's actually her mom more in her mother's footsteps. Right. Of like, I don't agree with his tactics. So like, I'm going to go a different route, right. which like, you know, I am a person who would be like, okay, things are getting violent. And like, I need to bow out. I, I can't do that. I can't like, I don't uh, want
0: to be force fed in prison. No,
1: I would not be as strong as some of these other women are being like, they are not the life for me.
0: And Adela, is unemployed and not part of the women's movement anymore and her mom is worried about her so her mom's like you know what would be great for you if you relocate to australia what? so she pays for her to go to australia and they never see her again <laughs> what she sends her youngest daughter to australia because she doesn't want to be in the women's movement maybe she had a great time <laughs> i hope I she really had a great time i hope
1: she had a great time in that penal colony my
0: god it's crazy who's just like sorry you don't want to be in my group go to australia you can't even be on the same island as me anymore
1: yeah go to a different (laughs) island a A larger larger island
0: and scarier animals jesus crazy okay so then the the first world war happens or the great war Mm because we didn't have the second one yet Mm -hmm. and the Pancras women are pretty chill. They knew the government needed to focus, so the WSPU stops militant action. They're like, you know what? Let's take all of our energy and put it into the war effort. They go on speeches talking about German peril. They urge French sisters to follow in their footsteps. Like, don't fight about like suffrage right now um I can I can really respect that me too they they start though shaming men into joining the front lines of battle oh. <laughs> which like also like world war one yeah. is not the time to be on the front lines no. and get in the trenches <laughs> and get like your face blown off it's terrible but Sylvia from home and Adela from Australia speak out against war and violence and Emmeline told Sylvia that she was ashamed of her position on the war okay. that's rough yeah But Emmeline put the passion that she had previously had in suffrage into being patriotic and advocating to help her country. She worked for war babies. Those are the babies whose, like, dads died and, like, the moms mm -hmm. needed help. So she made a center that had a Montessori school so that these women could take their kids. And she is, um, (laughs) she adopts four children of her (laughs) own. Because parents are dying left and right. And when someone was like, I wonder how a 57 year old woman who has no income can adopt four children. And she says, my dear, I wonder how I didn't adopt 40.
1: (laughs) But also like, it's again, like she is really action oriented, which I love. Do something. It's kind of like those people who are like, you're like, No abortions for anyone, but I also will not adopt any children like, you know, and like help the thing that I'm telling
0: women to do with their bodies.
1: Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like she is putting her action where
0: her mouth is. And I can really fucking appreciate it. She is. She travels a lot in this time, too. She goes to the U.S. She goes to Canada. She's speaking about suffrage. She's speaking about the war. Specifically right now, she's super worried about Russia. She hates, hates Russia. Same. Her, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> her autobiography <laughs> had been translated into Russian, so she saw it as a time to go speak to those women. So she goes to Russia <gasps> and is speaking out against the Bolsheviks in Russia. Oh, my God. During World War One, She's, like, traveling around, like, don't let them take over. That's insane. God, the have is on this woman. <laughs> Unreal! So no, crazy. Um, so she's in Russia doing that. She returns to England from Russia in 1918 when the war is dwindling, and she is thrilled to see that women voting is once again on its way to reality. <laughs> The representation of the people act removed from poverty restriction on men's suffrage. And it also granted women over the age of 30 (laughs) to vote with restrictions. So this is the first voting law in England was in 1918 for women over the age of 30 and poor men, the women celebrate, but then there's new schisms erupting. Should we join forces with men? Is that enough? What about equal pay? What about equal jobs? What about women under 30? What about married women? What about unmarried women? Mm -hmm. This was all meant for a post-war era, and that's what happens. (laughs) After the war, Emmeline continued to speak. She fought for the reach of the imperialist British army. Mm -hmm. Because she's worried that Russia's going to like... There's always a
1: hitch, isn't there? Oh, yeah, there's eugenics, too. There's always, this is the time. This This, is the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the age of Aquarius, but it's the age of eugenics. (laughs) And it's like every woman you appreciate (laughs) is like, but I also love eugenics,
0: <laughs> and it's also it all happens in that gap between World War One and World War Two because after yeah. World War Two, eugenics is off the table conversation. Yep. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, uh-huh. that went really bad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh shit, that's what it looks like. Oh no. Oh, oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Which, so and
0: again, it's like important
1: to like put it into context because I'm sure there's stuff going on right now that like we're gonna be horrified that we thought about in my God, 30 years. I'm like, horrified
0: of what I thought about two years ago oh i my. can't even. yeah i'm insane I, in i'm high scared school? to listen back to this straight podcast. to jail <laughs> arrest me send me to prison arrest high school force me, me immediately force me in prison <laughs> <laughs> actually don't i need to start <laughs> stop <laughs> what? so okay now that women have the vote she's openly campaigning for women candidates in the women party and even got the chance to campaign for her daughter Christabel, oh, cool. who runs for office and her daughter almost won Wow. She lost by 775 votes Slim margins baby Slim, Slim margins for women in politics too That's incredible yeah. She eventually got permission to go and live in Canada More permanently because she was like I'm tired of this shit England uh-huh. So she goes to Toronto where everybody can have their peace She moves her four adopted children there with her. She becomes an advocate for combating venereal disease because she's like, there's a sex double standard where this is more harmful for women. Uh And I don't know why she just Uh can't like rest on a sofa. (laughs) She also, this is when she's into like feminist eugenics, which Mm -hmm. is like the race battle. I don't even want to touch. She runs out of money though and goes back to England in 1925. But Sylvia is living unmarried with an Italian anarchist, which Ooh, this surprises me. Her. I know, but it surprises me that Emmeline's pissed. Cause remember back when she was like, we don't yeah, need, to like, need to get married. We don't yeah. need to be legally married, but they hadn't seen each other in years. And Sylvia comes to visit her and Emmeline pretty much storms out crying because their politics are so different. <sighs> And Christabel had become super religious, like the head daughter on, um, that San Francisco show. Uh What am I talking about? Full House. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Only in real life. She became super (laughs) (laughs) religious. That San Francisco show. (laughs) Um, and she's super religious and dedicating all her time to church and the press loved publishing the keeping up with the Pankhurst girls like they were (laughs) always publishing this in the paper and Emmeline even tried to run for office herself unsuccessfully but it was just too much of a dramatic transformation they were like you went from a window smashing radical to like some conservative politician like no Mm -hmm. we're not into that we don't want to vote for you yeah um but her campaign for parliament was also preempted by her ill health The years of touring and lectures and prison and hunger strikes took its toll on her body and also the financial financial instability Mm -hmm. like they're struggling. Even more sad, though, is her fight with Sylvia. Emmeline hated that she was living unmarried and she hated that she had a baby out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. And these scandals were coming up in the newspaper all the time. A paper in the United States published this about Sylvia, but they called Sylvia Ms. Pankhurst. Which is the name that was reserved for Christabel, not for Sylvia, who's the second daughter. So now, Emmeline is super upset because she thinks everybody in the United States is going to think that Christabel has a daughter out of wedlock. And she's, like, crying and calling the newspapers. It's a whole thing. (sighs) Then she gets sick and old, obviously, (laughs) because she's really getting delusional. And moves into a nursing home in Hampstead. And her health is deteriorating. And she requests the treatment by the doctor who was giving her her hunger strike pipes in prison. Oh, she goes, that stomach pump really helped me feel better. <laughs> and the nurses are like, that's crazy. We're not going to bring in the stomach pump people. Oh. And Christabel is like, just give my mom what she wants. Whoa. Um, And they're, they set up the procedure to pump her stomach with the gags and everything. But, Before the procedure could take place, she got very sick and didn't recover. In 1928, on June 14th, at 69 years old, she passes away. Her funeral was described in the paper as looking like a dead general in the midst of a mourning army. Her two older daughters appeared at the funeral together her WSPU bodyguard started raising money immediately for a memorial to go on top of her grade. Suffrage rights are maybe one of the biggest political accomplishments of all of the 20th century, and Emmeline's contributions are heavily debated from every mm-hmm. angle. She defied the position of wife and mother. Her, daughters, her daughter Christabel wrote a book about her called Unshackled, How We Got Women the Vote. Whatever you like or agree with her or not, (laughs) it's... I don't know. She marked in history to be the most passionate suffrage fighter of all time. All... Women gathering, like gathering spaces in England have been like named after her. She's listed in 100 of the greatest Britonians. There is a statue of her. The public voted for it in Manchester. They made the vote in 2016. They all got to vote on who they wanted a statue of. And hers was the statue. Mm. It was unveiled in 2018, 100 years after the women got the right to vote. And it was the first Female statue in manchester since queen victoria (laughs) that's really
1: cool it is cool
0: her great-granddaughter right now is named helen pankhurst she's one of sylvia's granddaughters and she founded an organization called olympic suffragette which still fights for women's rights today that's really cool so i I mean her legacy is that her grand her great-granddaughter still is fighting for women's rights yeah um Woo! Great story. That was great. That's... uh... (laughs) Also, what year did she die? She died in 28. Wait, 1928. 1928.
1: 1928. And she was
0: born in... 18 18 58
1: yeah because that was because they like our two people are like 20 years apart in age and death like almost
0: exactly yeah it's very very close i was writing that town that down as we went um oh gosh what an awesome story i just i like i knew i thought she was more like a susan b anthony i didn't realize how militant she was so i was very excited to learn that about her yeah very cool (laughs)
1: Alright, well we need to talk about these two women in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call Just the two of us Okay, obviously they're Whoa. twenty years apart in birth and death. They got birthday controversies, like
0: <laughs> I know, and they're also both traveling back and forth between Europe and the U.S. Yep. like there is, there are things going on. These women are crossing paths; they really are. And but, like, it's like you and Joe Biden, yeah, like, me and Joe Biden. <laughs> but I will say, it's interesting
1: to me that you have these two women living like similar times, but one's life is pure pleasure and one's life is pure suffering
0: Uh (laughs) uh-huh
1: literal literal suffering i kind of love that both can exist like i kind of feel like bell is living this life of like okay yeah maybe i can't vote but like i'm going to europe all the time and spending millions of dollars
0: (laughs) yes and like that's what i put down about bell i was like she is Her goal is like to connect institutions. Yeah. And Emmeline is like, get the fuck away from me. (laughs) If you don't believe what I believe, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't want to be in the same meeting space (laughs) as you, which is just (laughs) bananas to me. I mean, any picture you look at of Emmeline it looks like if it was present day, she would be like sitting on a curb with sunglasses, smoking a cigarette. Mm -hmm. But it's like back then she just is just looks so pissed off, but also so elegant. Yeah. (laughs) You're Mm -hmm. like, I can't imagine being that pissed off all the time, but I love it for her. I love that. (laughs) I also,
1: I love that they are both like attention grabbing women, but again, in very different ways. Oh yeah. Like, you know, Emmeline is literally making these crazy headlines just to get any sort of attention to her cause. Right. And uh, <laughs> Belle is buying fifty thousand dollar books and making a name for herself, even if she would like her name to be more uh respected than uh-huh. just fifty thousand dollar book. But Well,
0: maybe spit on a book, spit on yeah, a police spit, officer. <laughs> exactly.
1: Both read have the same result, apparently. Right. Um <laughs> But I also think it's interesting that they come from well-respected families in their communities. You know, like this wasn't an accident that either of them ended up in the world that they did. You know, we talked about Belle's parents being like really forward-thinking people who are, I mean, it's crazy that her dad was the first black student at Harvard. That's wild. And Emmeline's parents are These really interesting people who, you know, I just, I love it when people have that head start of like, people believe that you could do something great. And I love that for both of them.
0: I do. I just, I also thought it was interesting that Belle could pass for white, Mm -hmm. right? Like she could get through that big barrier that exists in the U S. Um, Emmeline couldn't pass right, like she right. was a woman, right, and we do know that, yes, there are possibilities today to transition, mm-hmm. but Emmeline wanted to be a woman, yeah, was mm-hmm. born a woman, identified as a woman, and could not pass as a man. There was yeah. no opportunity for
1: her to just fly under the radar, yeah, and like and we talked about how she did try and disguise herself because mm-hmm. then she was just like, I wonder if those days, if she was just like, my god, like I'm a little tired today. I don't want to be me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I am going to put on this disguise. And I imagine that like maybe some women looked at Belle and were like, I wish that I was, you know, could just like pass as a white woman for a day. And it's like, I'd love to walk into a shop like Belle does and not be you know, asked to leave or, like, looked at like I'm stealing something. And I'm sure Emmeline thought the same thing of, like, I'd love to just walk down the street and people not think that I'm there to, like, disrupt and make a political protest. Right. Because it's hard when your identity is so rooted in politics. Like, what you look like, who you are, is political. And for Emmeline, she put that politicalness on herself. You know, she chose to make her her face her body her personhood a political you know facet and bell didn't though she was like yeah i was born black but if i can just like pass as white and live my dream life like i'm gonna fucking do it right which is very interesting
0: it is and also i thought their uh connection with men dying was very interesting yes like when pj morgan died that's what i (laughs) meant J.P. Morgan, when J.P. Morgan dies, PJ. PJ, that is, a, that's adorable. <laughs> okay, when J.P. Morgan died, she's left with over a million dollars. When Richard died, he was also very supportive. You know, mm-hmm. they were both great men. She's left in debt. Yeah. And it's just, both of these women's lives were very connected to their well, because at that point, right, your husband is your business partner. Yeah. You have nothing mm-hmm. but his money. And the same thing is true of Belle. Yeah. They had nothing. And the, and then when they died, their lives went these, like, she wasn't doing anything militant when Richard was alive. Mm-hmm. If he had lived longer, what might have happened? I don't know. She yeah. was left with four children alone. Mm-hmm. She had to make big moves. Yeah. And she did. Mm-hmm. That's. I think that's an incredible statement for widows as well. Oh, this is yeah. a second half of her life decision. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is very cool because people are like, well, I'm in my 30s. I'm done now. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not the way life works.
1: Yeah. Keep going. Well, and it also provided opportunities for them both to kind of step out of the shadows of their male sponsors, mm-hmm. their male allies. You know, it was kind of like, okay, my husband is dead. So who am I? Who am I as a person? Who am I as a political activist? And when J.P. Morgan died, I feel like Bob was like, okay, then who am I besides my business partner, my little cohort, like my scheming guy? Like, who am I in the world of research, in the world of library science, you know? And I love that after he died is when the library went public. Like, she's like, okay, well, then I'm going to realize my dream. My dream is to make this a research center, a place where people can come and connect and learn. And I just kind of love that, yes, they had these great male allies, but also it gave them a a position to go even further. Like they didn't step back in the shadows. They stepped out of the shadows when their male allies died.
0: And I think one of the coolest things is that Belle – was trying to give people the words mm-hmm. and Emmeline was trying to give people a say. And when you yeah. have both, mm-hmm. when you have the research and you get to express how you feel about it, that's freedom. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: I totally agree. Oh. God,
0: what a legacy these
1: <laughs> both women both have in such different ways. I know. Um, not going to lie. I maybe would pick Emmeline's life and not Emmeline's Jesus Christ. Bell Bell's yeah. life. <laughs> Emmeline's
0: life. Hard. I w-
1: Hard, hard. That's difficult. That's
0: a hard no for you? Yes. I I would much rather be
1: spending millions uh, of dollars that don't belong uh, to me.
0: (laughs) It's telling that it's a struggle in my head to decide which one I would pick. I have no problems picking (laughs) Belle's Life. Could you imagine, though, how fun it would be to just be riotous all the time? (laughs) Uh I I would love to be riotous all the time.
1: I'd rather be holding up my little paddle at an auction house (laughs) knowing... That it's not my money I'm spending. <laughs> and I'm getting paid to be there.
0: That's delicious. I agree. That's delicious. I just don't think I could... I don't I don't think I can foster that in my life. Um, I will say, though, can you imagine me and Caroline and Eliza taking a picture as the Pankhurst girls I like for the women's that. history? I
1: would <laughs> love that.
0: I'll be Emmeline. You be Christabel. <laughs> you be Sylvia. We're really going to do it. <laughs> Somebody will be Adela in Australia, yeah. but she won't be in the picture. No.
1: <laughs> All right. Well... Who would you
0: like to toast this evening? I just want to toast angry women. Yeah. I know that feminists sometimes get a bad rap because they're like, oh, you're so angry. You hate men, this, that, and the other. And it's not true. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not angry. We're just frustrated. I don't, <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I don't know what's a better word for it, but I just. The anger must have been so potent when you could do nothing. You could do nothing. So just for angry women around the world and frustrated women and irritated women, Mm -hmm. just thank you for your anger. It's done so much for me. (laughs) Who do you want to toast?
1: I'm going to toast the women who want to share knowledge. I love that she was just trying to be like, you want a piece of this knowledge? Let's make it happen. I'm going to take pictures of it. I'm going to scan it. She would I bet Bella Costa could do so much if she had a scanner. <laughs> I just I love that that was kind of her mission of like I'm going to save these things. I'm going to put them on public display and I am going to make the world a better place by Really like fucking over these wealthy guys who just want to put these artifacts in a vault for their own, just like sick per sick purposes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to call it. Keys like giggles. It's like annoying to me. It's like. You're going to buy this book from fourteen ninety eighty five 85, whatever, and then just put it away so no one can ever see it? Like, that's bullshit. We could learn so much from it. Exactly. It'd be like buying the Library of Alexandria and then just putting it away. Let's not talk about it. It really Let's hurts not me. not talk about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, two women who want to share knowledge. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week?
0: Okay, I'm going to do something so self-centered. Don't judge me. Promoting my own Instagram yeah, this month. Do it. It's great. Okay. So everybody knows on this show that every March me and my girls take pictures as famous women. And it started as like a whim the first year, and it was six years ago. <laughs> I look back at the pictures, my kids didn't have teeth. They were like little babies. Yeah. Now they have acne. They're teenagers. It's wild. But um we do 30 women every month. The thirty-first day is just a picture of them. And it has become like a big thing in my personal community. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'm annoyed when I see people like on the news and stuff that like do one just picture, one, yeah. and I'm just like, "Are you fucking with me?" <laughs> so I'm promoting my own Instagram, not because I think I should be famous or anything, because I think it's I think my kids put a lot of effort in, yeah. and I think it's actually something good. Yeah, it like is. we're at the point where we're at almost 200 pictures. That's wild. Because <laughs> uh, it's 30 pictures every year for six years, like. It's it's pretty cool that they're as dedicated to it as me. And producer mm-hmm. helps with angles and lighting. And like, I just think it's cool. And I think that everybody can get something out of it. And I, I agree. I don't like I'm not promoting myself. I'm promoting my kids. They're yeah. fucking cool. And that's yeah. I I feel so self-centered doing that. But don't. it's cool. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> I love that. And you can find them all up through this year on our website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are if you want to see the ones from this year day to day, they're either on our Twitter, my LinkedIn. Or my personal Instagram. Mm-hmm. So you have to request me and then just send me a message that says, yeah. I know you from her story on the rocks, yeah. and then I'll because <laughs> I just don't want my students on my personal Instagram. Oh yeah, I so totally I have to block that. it. Yeah. Okay. What are you promoting?
1: I am going to promote uh, the movie that Casey and I were supposed to watch a couple weeks ago, but I made us watch a different movie about <laughs> magic. Um, so this is called the "See Prestige. How They Run." No, I wish. <laughs> no, we, we watched. Um, uh, see me if you can. See me now, or whatever the fuck it was. Catch uh, me if
0: you can. No, I love that movie.
1: Damn it! What was it called? Uh, see me now. Okay, is that it? That I don't sounds know. like a magic. But we watched the movie that Casey wanted to watch, which was See How They Run. And you are really going to appreciate this movie, Allie, are they because runners? no, it is kind of a movie within a play, in a weird way, of the Mousetrap.
0: No. By Agatha crazy,
1: <laughs> So it's basically like a real murder that happens in the after party of the play in London's 100th showing. So like this is like, I know.
0: That's amazing. I've dying. I'm over here yeah. making all kinds now, of faces. Now. <laughs>
1: You want to see it. No, I do. Because it's so clever how they like connect all the things and it's like really good. And especially I think you would appreciate it if you have seen the mousetrap itself. Because of course there's that famous thing where
0: secret
1: at the end of the play, if you guys don't know, if you see it in London on the West end, they say, okay, now that you know who, who done it, don't tell anyone. And it's like this great little secret and they really try and keep it a secret. And, um, so yeah, so there, so this is like a murder that happens at the play. So like you're seeing a lot of, uh, lines connecting between the murder and the play and it's really fun and it's cool. And you don't, I've never seen the Mm mousetrap. I don't know how it ends.
0: And can't tell you. Yeah. You can't can't tell me. (laughs) I'm in a contract contract (laughs) with England. (laughs) And I just think
1: it's really fun and it's uh, an Agatha Christie herself is in it and it's just like really great. Good. So see how they run because also I didn't realize that like that was going to be one of the original like names of the play was like based it was was originally called the three blind mice. Yes. The play. Mm -hmm. Um, So of course this is uh, Agatha Christie always has 18 different names for everything. And we love her for it. Um, and I think the woman who played Agatha Christie is Moaning Myrtle. Oh, so for her. God, just layers upon layers of why you should watch this movie. Yo, she was
0: like the oldest character to play a student yeah. in Harry Potter. She was I like imagine. 35 when she was Moaning Myrtle. That's yeah. crazy. I was <laughs> like, I sometimes I go, oh, Jake, do I look like I can play Moaning Myrtle? Because <laughs> she was 35 and I'm almost 37. And he's like, stop it. <laughs> stop. I'm having like an old thing recently Ew. this week. I don't know what it is because I'm not usually like that. Yeah. Like I, I appreciate aging. But I've been having an old thing this week. Well, I've had a bunch of silver hairs on me recently. So well, Jake's going gray too. I won't that won't happen to me. Oh, okay. I will wrinkle <laughs> up, but my family stays like brown hair for long. My dad hair almost completely brown. That's true. My yeah. mom highlights her hair with blonde, but is has very little gray.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely, um, I'm graying like my dad, which I really appreciate because he's got the like silver. It's
0: very pretty, like salt and peppery. Yeah. So I'm like
1: white and wiry. I'm hoping I have the salt and pepper going on because that's what I've been seeing. Perfect. So anyways, thank you for listening. (laughs) We hope that you're going gray in a lovely way as well. (laughs) Uh, But really, we want you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you have a moment. And if you want to hang out with us even more, join us on Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can hang out with us and listen to all the things that we do and all the crazy conversations.
0: Or our live show on March 24th. (laughs) We cannot wait to see you there. We're going to be terrible.
1: Oh, God. The worst we've ever been. Um, So we hope you join us for that. Um, And Um, Obviously on all the social medias, and uh, but most of all, we want you to never forget that well behaved women really don't throw stones through windows. they don't, don't. and they rarely make history. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.